Thank you, choir, orchestra. Good to hear those voices and sounds again. Let me introduce myself. <laughs> My name is Jim Stewart, and I served a short tenure here on your staff for 30 years or so. It's good to be back here with you today. First time uh, opportunity to share from the pulpit the absence of our pastor and other staff. And so it's good to, to have an opportunity to get reacquainted with all of you today. I bring you greetings from Oklahoma Baptist Children's Home and from Marketplace Ministries, where I spend all of my retirement time. I have not yet found that little rocking chair on my front porch and a piece of wood to whittle on to finish out my retirement. But I'm busy uh, taking on God's new path and direction for my life and our family, and it's been rewarding. Uh, but it's uh, good to be back with you again here today. We're in a study these weeks from the book of James. And today is, if there's ever a sermon that, that, any, that every single one of us could say we, we can and must and should identify with, it is one on speech. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and think about the way you either have already or could respond to these phrases. We no longer need your services. You mean everything to me. What an idiot. How can I help you? I don't love you anymore. I miss our times together. She's rumored to be having an affair. What a cute baby. You stink. We'd like to offer you an executive position with, with our firm. I'll act however I want to. Sleep tight, precious one. You have zero talent. I've waited all my life for someone like you. Now, anger, sadness, gladness, confusion, disappointment, ecstasy, relief, or, or surprise could be any one of those reactions. Words have the power to build up or to tear down to encourage or discourage, to hurt or to heal, to give life or to take it away. The Bible is full of examples of the power of words. Jesus refers to Peter as the rock upon whom I will build my church on one hand, and yet later, in one of his moments of weakness in the garden, Peter denies to a servant girl that he ever knew a man named Jesus. The writer of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 11, verse 3, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. In Genesis 1, after each day of creation, we hear from, from the writer, and God said, and God said. Words are either an asset or a liability. I ran across a poem, the author of which I was not able to discover recently, but says, A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A timely word may level stress, but a loving word can heal and bless. No doubt we have flashbacks to the times and the persons and the words that were spoken to us or about us or by us. Some we always want to remember and some we wish we could forget. Someone devastated you or affirmed you or overwhelmed you or expressed belief in you. This passage that we're going to read in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today is familiar to so many of us because James uses 
vivid word pictures to help us create mental images of the power of words. Let me read that passage. If you have your Bible, follow along with me. James chapter 3, the first 12 verses. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you cannot draw fresh water from a salty spring. We can all visualize that small rudder or that turning that huge ocean liner or that small bit in a horse's mouth moving him one direction or the other. And we can certainly know because of forest fires in in Oklahoma and and not to mention California that a tiny spark can create a a forest ablaze and, and destroy homes and property. Out of control, forest fire, out of control, tongues. Psychologists Donald Clifton and Tom Roth have co-authored a book they titled, How, How Full Is Your Bucket? And using the metaphor that each of us has a bucket we must fill with positive experiences every day, such as praise or recognition. But when we use negative talk towards someone else, it is as if we use a dipper to remove the pleasantness from their bucket for that day. Conversely, when we share positive information with someone, we fill up the other person's bucket of good experiences, and it impacts our own lives, too. Someone has said that it takes five positive interchanges of conversation to to offset just one negative one. My purpose here today is not to tell you what to say or when to say it. But what I can do and hope to do is to cause us to think about words that come into us and come out of us, and the resulting effects of the words that their effect upon us. The first thing I want us to think about today is words said in haste. Countless times I have said, I wish I'd never said that. Someone has said that we are masters of the unsaid words, but we are slaves of those that we let slip out. Spoken words, emails, texting, words which come, which once are out are out in the open forever. They create confusion, pain, disappointment, and rejection sometimes that may not have ever been intended, yet they're out there forever. Apple and Android users have an answer for us. It's called the Wiper Messenger. You send worry-free messages to friends and family, and send something embarrassing you want back, 
What about an angry text that you might regret later? No problem. This Apple app makes regrettable text a thing of the past, as long as the recipient has the same app that you do. If you want to take something back, you simply select the message from your conversation and tap wipe to make it disappear. It also lets you know when your text has been read and if the person on the other end took a screenshot of the conversation. You can send self-destructing messages to friends. We can have a mutual conversation with our Apple app friends, and if either of us sends a stupid, insensitive, embarrassing, or incriminating message, it's no problem. Just delete it, as if it never happened. Well, here's the problem I have with that. It did happen. I did say it, or you did say it, and it should not have been said. It seems like to me, with this app, we're treating the symptom rather than the, the cause. I think we're better off asking, praying, and working to control our tongues to be held accountable for the words that we use and to think before speaking unkind things. Scripture is full of conversations that Jesus had with all kinds of people in every situation, totally straightforward and honest, but always with grace and never hurtful. Words said in haste usually come back to us again. And like the wind blowing a handful of beach sand out of our hand on a windy day, it can never be recovered again. I personally prefer an apology to a text-removing app. Better yet, let's be proactive and speak kind words in the image of Christ. So we send words in haste and we use words that cause hurt. James says that those who cannot control their tongue should not be in the position of teaching others. And in his day, teaching others was an important part of the early church. If you were qualified to teach the early church, the, the, the babe church, if you will, of Christ in those days, you had to, be, make sure, to make sure that you taught with integrity and character and purpose. If we were perfect, he says, we could always communicate in healthy ways. But James knows, knew, and we know that that's not possible. Hurtful words can destroy, corrupt, and humiliate others. Rabbi jo Joseph Telushkin authored a book called Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. And he lectures throughout the country on the power of negative talk. When he speaks, he says, how many of you can go 24 hours without saying unkind words to another person? And typically, when he asks that in an audience, a small number of listeners raise their hands signifying yes, others laugh, and even a few people call out no. Well, Telushkin points out that those who cannot answer yes to that question must realize they have a serious problem with words. If you can't go 24 hours without liquor, you're probably addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, perhaps you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without saying an unkind word, most likely, you've lost control of your tongue. <clears throat> this is an actual letter, rejection letter received by New, New Delta Review Literary Magazine in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, several years ago, sent to one of its would-be aspiring authors. Thank you for submitting. Unfortunately, the work you sent in is quite terrible. Please forgive the form rejection, but it would take too much of my time to tell you exactly how terrible it was. So, sorry again for the form letter. 
I can only imagine if I opened that envelope and and read what I just read to you. Perhaps it could have said, or should have said, we're sorry, but we cannot accept your literary submission at this time. Our best wishes as you continue your literary ambition, and please consider us again in the future. An insensitive, crude attempt to discredit discredit and delusion an eager would-be author. Simply not necessary. Think about the words before you say them and ask how you would receive the very words that you're about to use yourself. Once you think of in that sense, do they sound differently to you now? Terse, harmful words rarely produce a positive result. Words shared in haste, words that hurt. But what about words that bring healing? Let's look at it from a positive slant. When we realize that our words have the potential to heal another person emotionally or spiritually, it is a powerful tool that God can use in our lives and in theirs. When we share our faith, our life experiences, our values, we deal with fragile people. We attempt to become the voice of God in their lives at that point in time. We realize the potential and the power that comes with that. We don't browbeat or scourge or intimidate others into a relationship with Christ. Rather, we offer healing and hope. The dilemma that we have, quite frankly, is that our words can send us into expectant hope and courage, or they can spiral us into disillusionment and discouragement. My wife read through my sermon. She said, make sure that you share the illustration about Max Licato. So here it is. Several years ago, he participated in an Ironman triathlon. After the 1.2-mile swim and the 56-mile bike ride, he didn't have a whole lot left for a 13.1-mile run. He says the jogger next to him, a young man, confessed, this stinks. This race is the dumbest decision I've ever made. He had more complaints, says Locato, than a taxpayer impatient with the IRS. Max says, I knew if I listened to him too long, I would just become just like him. So he caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother. Her tone was just the opposite. You'll finish this, she encouraged. It's hot, but at least it's not raining. Just take one step at a time and remember to hydrate and stay in there. He says, I ran next to her until my heart was full and my legs were aching. Then I finally had to slow down. No problem, she said, as she waved back to him and kept going. Now, which type of counsel do you want? What motivates you the most? Jesus was in the precarious position of dealing with a woman caught in adultery one day a helpless pawn in a chess game put out by the Pharisees, arrogant and self-serving, wanting to trap Jesus in any way they could, asking him the, the question, Master, she's been caught in adultery. The law of Moses says she should be stung. What do you say? Well, there's no right, or, there's no right answer that he could give back to them that would not put him in a bad light in one way or another. And after Jesus asked them the probing question, sure, you can stone her if you can tell me first you've not committed your own sin. After that probing attempt to get inside their minds and hearts, they began to to leave one at a time and, and walk away from the scene. At which time Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? They have all gone, Master. And then he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Words that bring healing. Not disregarding her sin, but 
but also not disregarding her personhood. Have you spoken words of healing lately to someone, to anyone? Have they been spoken to you when you needed them? You may be the only person today offering those healing words to someone near you. What about words that bring honor? Words have the potential to bestow or return honor to someone else one way or another through the spoken power of blessing. The Old Testament sacramental blessing is illustrated in Jacob's stealing of his father's blessing from his brother Esau, who rightfully deserved it. It's that ceremonial handing down of generational sacraments or privileges as we see in the Jewish culture, the bar mitzvah and Catholic confirmation at our own graduations and weddings, inheriting a a family business from your father or grandfather, reaching a plateau, completing a course, can all be forms and occasions for sharing and bestowing a blessing of honor. Why is it important? Because we each have that longing in our inner being to be confirmed and blessed and valued and loved by someone else, to know that we've achieved something, we please someone. John Trent and Gary Smalley authored a book years ago, co-authored a book called The Gift of the Blessing. Trent said the impetus for writing this book from his perspective was as he was spending an internship in a hospital, and he was beside the bed of a dying young man who was not going to live but a few more days. But it was not his mortality that concerned him the most at that point. He told Trent, I fear most taking my final breath in this life without ever having heard my father say, I love you. Trent said that he left that hospital room that day determined to research the blessing in Scripture and to write a book advocating that all of us find ways to use the blessing in our relationships with others. There are conditional blessings extended through some rite or passage or completion of a required course, etc., but even greater are those unconditional blessings freely given just because you're loved. Both have value and meaning. Proverbs 18.21 reminds us that the tongue can bring life or death. In Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, Let your words be an encouragement to those who hear them. This is not sugarcoating the truth or avoiding difficult confrontational conversations, for there are often tough things that need to be said between people. But it is treating another person with dignity and grace, and truth-telling and love, which everyone deserves. A man once received notice that his son, during his senior year in high school, had failed a course. And realizing that a failed course might keep the son from attending a top school, the angry father marched into the office accusing the teacher of unfairness. He threatened her job if she did not comply with his request to change the grade. Believing she was justified, the teacher would not relent. She would not back down. So the father left her room and headed for the principal's office where he demanded the principal's intervention. Again, the wise principal, having studied the situation, knowing the circumstances, backed up his teacher. The father's rage continued and he made threats to the principal. He would go to the school board if necessary and he would have the principal's job. And at that point, there was a brief moment of silence after which a very perceptive and caring principal said, Sir, I can see that you love your son very much. And may I suggest that the first thing you do when you go home is to let him know it. 
At that point, the father's anger melted away and he broke down in a shower of tears. A father's love for his son had been acknowledged and a wise administrator helped bring healing and honor even in the midst of regret and disappointment. Think for a moment on how others have brought honor or blessing into your life through the years. Think of that special parent or uncle or sister or aunt or cousin or coach or friend or neighbor or roommate, and then reflect on the persons in your life that need to hear a spoken word or honor blessing from you today. Covenant with God and yourself to be that voice that blesses someone else this week. And then watch as that person smiles and their whole demeanor changes as you share that blessing with them. May I suggest, among others, that the passage from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, be your model for a blessing. Let me read that quickly. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you all, for you have a special place in my heart. Can you imagine saying that to someone else? Can you imagine how that might change the rest of their day or the rest of their life? Can you imagine someone else saying that to you? In his most troubling, vulnerable hour of need, suspended on a wooden cross, Jesus had the presence of mind to ask John, the beloved disciple, to care for his mother upon his death. A blessing for John as well as a blessing for Mary. On that same cross, he said of his enemies, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then he removed the attention from himself long enough to make sure that a dying thief on the other side of him would soon join him in paradise as well. Words of honor and blessing. And then finally, there are also words that can be silently heard by others. Yes, I said silently heard. Words that need no spoken form, yet convey great meaning and purpose and affirmation. Jesus spent his 33 years or so teaching, caring, preaching, healing, and praying. And we are the beneficiaries of all of those attributes that he demonstrated time and time again. But there were those times, even in his life, when words became silent teachers of the faith to others. When he quietly brought Lazarus back to life when he instinctively multiplied fishes and loaves to feed over 5,000, when he was being challenged by Pilate during the last days of his life and had said all he needed to say about himself, when he took his final breath on the cross and it spoke of great courage. Each of those moments were words silently heard, not audible, not verbal, yet unmistakably understood by others. A few weeks ago, Vicki and I had decided to take in an afternoon movie matinee and chose an excellent movie called Where Hope Grows. In this inspirational faith-based story, Calvin, an ex-major league baseball player, becomes acquainted with a young Down syndrome worker in a grocery store simply nicknamed Produce. The story of how their lives become intertwined is very impactful and meaningful. Calvin is an alcoholic who comes to grips 
with the reality of almost becoming a major league star until panic attacks at the plate took him over, and then his drinking binge ruined his career. He's back in his hometown, almost useless and penniless, slowly, painfully trying to put his life back together, and in the process, taking care of a teenage daughter. And he must deal with the unpretentious, compassionate company of produce, a young man in his 20s who often greets him with a huge smile in the produce aisle at the local grocery store. Produce's mode of operation throughout the movie is to walk up and hug someone, revealing his affection and admiration for him, even before he knows anything about them. Produce gives love before he either knows or cares about the cost. How Calvin, the once successful athlete, becomes vulnerable to an innocently assertive young man with special needs like Produce is touching and powerful. Calvin teaches Produce about baseball. And Produce teaches Calvin about being transparent and real-life faith and about living out a Christ-like consciousness. Through an untimely tragedy, Calvin learns what life is really all about, much of it the courtesy of his young sidekick. One man labeled with special needs becomes the teacher for another with greater needs. It's strikingly apparent throughout the large part of this movie that he who seemingly had little to give becomes the teacher of him who has much to learn. But that's not the end of the story. As I walked out of the theater, back into the lobby, standing there waiting for my wife, and a family across from me watched as their six-year-old little Down syndrome son came over running to me and hugged my leg. Startled at first by an overwhelming offer of friendship and affirmation from a young stranger, I soon bent down to his level so he could hug all of me. And by that time, his family came over with smiles on their faces. I hugged that precious little stranger for only a brief moment. But I wouldn't take a million dollars for that hug. I then discovered that my young friend could not talk. He was going to a speech therapist, but all he could make were guttural sounds. Yet he communicated beyond words to me and others that day. His affirmation and love so freely given were words silently heard by me. As I think about this passage today and the power of the words that we use, I remember a new young friend whose name I don't even know, who imitated the star of a movie he had just seen by offering free hugs to anyone around him who needed one. Words silently heard sometimes are even more powerful than those spoken. And it occurs to me today that, even, that we often have the opportunity to speak truth, hope, blessing, healing, and love into the lives of others. And if necessary, we can even use words. In closing, I want to go back to verse 2 of that chapter 3 of James. James reminds us again, if we were perfect we would always say the right thing. Let's just dwell on that for a moment. If we were perfect. Are you thinking the same thing I am? Well, if I'm not perfect, then how do I deal with that? Well, I have to work harder at it. And I have to go back to that bucket illustration. If we consider every day a bucket of pleasant experiences and memories that needs to fill up that bucket, I don't know about you, but some days my emotional bucket is different than others. 
Some days, other folks seem to pour into the positive experiences with so much regularity that I feel my bucket is literally running over and not the smile on my face. But other days, other days, there are those around me that seem to use their dipper to drain my emotional bucket dry. And by the time I lie down to sleep that night, I have to look deep into that bucket to find anything left. Now turn that metaphor around now. Jesus says you and I are either making positive deposits into the buckets of those around us, or we're wearing blisters on our hand from dipping too hard to move, take them out. God forgive me today if I rob more goodness out of others than I make deposits of encouragement and hope in their behalf. Words said in haste, forever gone, but rarely forgotten. Words that hurt, five times more powerful than one simple praise. Words that bring healing, both freely given and received. Words that bring honor and bestow blessing to someone else. And words silently heard when love is offered unconditionally. The psalmist knew how to say it well. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There is indeed great power in our words. Let's pray.